there's there's nothing braver than getting on a stage with one thing and as someone that performs across the spectrum of performance uh, performance art has always been one that that for me has that pull of like the rawest form of performing in the same way that I think parkour is the rawest form of efficient movement in the same way that I think mixed martial arts is the rawest form of fighting. So, Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 88, David Banks, Endurance Challenges, performance art, and recovery. Is parkour about athleticism or performance art? To David Banks, it is both at once. He shares his movement journey and inspirations from martial arts to parkour to drama. David unpacks some of his projects, including the Movement Card and his various charity endurance challenges. He discusses performance art and how it relates to his parkour practice and reflects on injury and recovery. David Banks is an artist and mover from Glasgow, Scotland. As a co-founder of the company Ukemi, he merges his background in art and parkour by creating projects that encourage play, improve health, and make movement accessible in urban areas. David has been a part of various projects through Ukemi, collaborating on Youth Urban Games Festival and creating the Ukemi card game. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 88. I also want to mention that in Season 4, we're now recording video for some of the podcasts, so if you want to see this conversation, head to moversmindset.com slash 88. Thanks for listening and watching. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine from Movers Mindset. I'm here this morning with David Banks. Welcome, David. How are you this afternoon? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm in Scotland, but the sun is shining, which is really positive. The negative thing is that I'm out training on my own at the moment, so mm, sorry. finding ways to stay busy, but I, I'm sure everyone listening is in the exact same position. So, you know, just getting by, trying to stay creative, trying to eat reasonably healthy, you know, as much as one can in quarantine. Yeah. The volume sometimes becomes <laughs> uh, quite a tricky thing, as you can imagine. But I'm smiling, I'm, I'm happy and healthy, and uh, I guess all things considered, I'm doing all right. How about you, Craig? How are you uh, doing? I'm good. It is another gorgeous day here. I'm in Eastern Pennsylvania and there's, there's like a joke. I always almost hate to say this in a recording, but there's a joke about, I seem to bring really good weather wherever I go. I mean, I went to Scotland a year and a half ago to visit Hedge and it was gorgeous, sunny, breezy in the like 70s Fahrenheit the entire time I was there. And, and he was like, this is weird. And like every time I get on a call with somebody, the weather's gorgeous. I went to rainy Seattle on the West Coast. I was there for three and a half days gorgeous, sunny, blue skies. All the Seattle lights are like, where, what's with this weather? <laughs> so, so I'm not, I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, hopefully everybody that I talk to has a great day. I hope people get a chance we to get outside. We have this thing in Scotland where we both hate the weather, but we're also kind of proud of it. So when people come to visit, as much as we've been complaining, we, we want to see you deal with it. We see want you <laughs> I want to talk about the eight Trying mile problem. Like, yes. I want you to rain right now. I want you uh, to see what happens when it rains. <laughs> <laughs> let's, so let's, let's dive in here. I like to start by asking people on these video interviews, thinking back to your childhood, what okay. role did movement play as you were growing up? Uh, I wanted to be Spider-Man. And then I wanted to be Neo and mm. Goku mm. and various Final Fantasy characters. And I'd say like mainly the major influence that I had on, on my life is 
I got a Spider-Man costume when I was about six or seven years old. And I'd recently gone through a little bit of a trauma and I refused to take the Spider-Man costume off. So my mum had to buy me another one and like sneak me in it. And I didn't take it off for weeks. And I kind of decided at that point, I'm going to become Spider-Man. Your persona. And that kind of led me down the path of movement. I, I realized for me, my parkour practice is I want to be able to escape, reach, attack and defend. Uh, so I pursued boxing. I had boxing fights, MMA fights, and done quite a lot with my parkour practice. As I got a little bit older, um, I actually did once. Uh, I was going about areas of Glasgow with a superhero costume underneath my clothes, like ready to fight crime. And I went down to Manchester to meet another kind of guy that was doing it. But then I kind of realized that a lot of that was victimizing a certain type of crime. And I felt that the idea and the role of the superhero and practicality in the street often just victimizes the most vulnerable people in society. So upon reflection of that, I realized that what I liked about these characters, apart from the movement qualities, was the, the story and the expressiveness within it. So then all the things were kind of linking up at the time anyway. And that's where I get a lot of my performance practice from. Mm-hmm. It's kind of all linked in from that movement. I wanted to be Spider-Man. I wanted to move like him. I wanted to fight like him. And then I wanted to entertain like him, finally. Mm. That does explain quite a bit of so I, sometimes this is a little cold but i like to think of people as venn diagrams like oh they're into theater they're into parkour and then it's always interesting to go all right well how did those particular areas of interest get seeded into that person because most people don't change them they go pretty far in their life with the same areas of interest and i i'm interested in how you described the transition or the way that you changed from maybe wanting to be a superhero and then realizing that there was something within the concept of superhero that is actually what you were drawn to. And I'm, I'm wondering if, is there somebody that you can think of, maybe, I mean, it could be somebody that inspires you or, or somebody that amazes you and, and you can leave the name out if you want, but is there somebody that you think of that you found inspiring in that window when you were kind of transitioning and maybe it has only available in retrospect? Can you see it? I think in, in my more formative years, it would have to be, you know, someone like Bruce Lee, mm. Jackie Chan, Chuck Norris. Um, I mean, Chuck Norris is a little bit before my time, but in particular, you know, world kickboxing champion, performer, you know, playing a charitable endeavors. So I'd certainly look towards those style of figures. Um, early on in my, I, I guess, kind of more official training, because mm. um, I've been training parkour. I imagine a lot like a lot of this audience way before coaching. So parkour was what I met to do my friends with. But my my main physical training was coming from mixed martial arts and boxing. And my head coach was a musician mm. as well as a former kickboxing and judo champion. So he had this real nice mix of the hardest guy I knew ever. You know, just that real old toughness, old martial arts drill. <laughs> you do a squat and you kick each other in the stomach. You do a squat and you kick each other. Like, it, it, it doesn't even work. It's insane <laughs> that we can train that way. Like Looking back on it, some of the stuff we've done was so bad for you. But it built my mental toughness. And, and beyond that, he had a softness to him and was very artistic minded. When there were big fight events, would very much take part in you know how it was represented, what colors, what fonts, how how we laid out the whole campaign, and would often bring things like music into it. So I, I think experience him uh, allowed me, and it, that, 
that was my coach, Mark House, from Team Jogoku in Aberdeen. Um, experiencing someone like him really allowed me to see that I could have these kind of hard and soft qualities and get similar outcomes. And I guess that's how it kind of links to both performance, competition, athletic endeavors, and parkour. You, part of the challenge that I find is there's a million places that we can go with interviews. And <laughs> one of the things that I would like to do is I don't think people know as much about Scotland and like people can go to Wikipedia and read, but I'm, I'm wondering, can you just give me a little bit of maybe how your life and your perspective shifted? I'm guessing at some point you went from Aberdeen to, to Glasgow and I'm like, what was the, what was it like for you to make that transition? Yeah. Um, well, I moved here when I was, I was 18. So that's, that's 10 years ago now. Um, as soon as I turned 18, essentially I, I, I moved to Glasgow um and i was ready for it i was ready for the bigger parkour scene um a lot of the forums that i'd operated at the time was the glasgow parkour coaching forum ran by chris grant even though we were based in aberdeen we still operated through that and then um so there were a lot of uh people i was excited to meet and i was excited just to be to be part of that culture it's also uh for those from back in the day it's nice to put forum names to faces Mm. Sometime I meet. I remember meeting my friend uh, Tim, who's in who's in Ukemi, and I was like, "Are you are you super fly?" <laughs> like, yeah, man, I'm super fly. <laughs> are you many movements? I was like, "Yeah, that's me, man. I'm many movements." Also, <laughs> <laughs> David, nice to meet you, sir. Yeah. And then also the, the the kind of realm of possibility down here is, is is much larger. And Glasgow, in terms of its arts and culture, is phenomenal. It's also an incredibly cheap city to live in. So there's a lot less limited access there's a lot of cheap things going on here things for free so i think anytime you transition or you shift to a new place or even experience a trauma or go through something you, you do have that possibility to kind of like radically rethink yourself mm. um so i had that moment i guess maybe for me more kind of an emerging moment when i moved here than a kind of radical rethink did you find your movement style changed as well? I'm just wondering, like 18 is a really transformative, it can be right in there as a transformative window for people in general and to change external environments while you're internally changing. I'm just wondering if you, if looking back, if you can see your parkour has changed. Yeah, I, I think the, the main movements that practices that got layered in when I moved here, so I actually moved here to go to the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. So it's a drama school. And part of my training was I would experience uh, ballet, contemporary dance, yoga, Pilates, uh, buto, um, contact improvisation dance. So I had this whole world of different movement styles to work with. Um, and what I quite liked about it was there's a lot of repetition, a lot of pattern-based work. And it definitely did change my movement. I think in terms of connectivity and flow and also, just the reality of being in a larger parkour scene, there's more people to push my own technical ability. Mm. And it's not necessarily sometimes about finding people that are further along the journey than you. Sometimes it's about identifying those people that are around about your level. Right. And just with a bigger able scene, able to pull you or push people. you. Hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about, there's so many things. I want to talk about crawling eight miles, but just because QM, I'm, I'm addicted. Sorry. But before we go there, the movement card project and people who, yes. if people have, don't know anything about you, they're going to be like, wait, what? <laughs> Craig just turns left. The movement card project that you worked on, I'm wondering if you can walk me through, because a lot of people who've done parkour for a while 
and then they do it in some sort of urban space, they quickly realize that there is a, there is a bit of friction between society in general and the people who have had their eyes open by movement practices such as parkour, ADD, free running. And I'm just wondering, okay, so a lot of people have that idea that there's a friction here and you know, the world would be better if we all just got along. But you went like the significant next step to actually create a project, create a thing, pull the resource. Like, there's a, can you unpack how did you get from having an idea to actually having a physical thing? And, and then also tell me a little bit about it so people know what it is. Yeah, I, I think that to understand the birth of the idea, you need to understand the, the context of what the law is like in Scotland. We have reasonably liberal laws in terms of being able to move freely. We also have no trespassing laws in Scotland and we have no private. Uh, spaces to an extent like if you make your a private space open it is a public space uh, so just to give the people listening some context we already had that foundation what is difficult is that our current urban conditions reject the possibility for a creativity in urban spaces and this is often in scotland because of social contracts as opposed to written law it's get down off that wall you know, it's right. you, sir. In, you should know better. You're not allowed to do this. I'm phoning the police. And for people that maybe don't practice parkour that are listening to this, you might think, well, you just tell them it's fine. You just wait for the police to come. But <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of times I've taken an hour or two out of my training over the years to deal with that pish is just is very frustrating. So as part of my arts practice, I've always looked for ways to increase our freedoms in the city or at least increase our understandings of it. So what the movement card does, uh, and I'll describe what it is now, the movement card is a pocket-sized business card and in it, it has your rights to move in Scotland in Scots law. It also has access to our website, movementpark.com, uh, sorry, um, movementcard.com, that will hopefully grow over a little while and what the project is is we're collecting a database of your right to move in different countries around the world and we're doing that for two reasons so let's say you're in quite a liberal country like scotland in terms of movement your movement card now solidifies to people when they give you a bit of hassle that you, you have something in your hand and there's something different about telling some something something verbally and showing them something and it has a different effect so let's say you're in a really strict country and you say, David, we're going to make a movement card and it's going to describe perfectly how we're not allowed to do this. Well, the value in that is if once we have more countries to draw comparisons to, you have legis legislative examples that you can use to fight for greater freedoms in your country in terms of movement practice. So you can point to countries with more liberal movement laws uh, in the city and you can begin to use that as a basis for your campaign because there's already examples of best practice. So our goal with the project is to get uh, as many people involved. At the moment, we have a group in uh, Finland, Belgium, Australia, and we're trying to unpack the American one at the moment. I know you've got lots of state-based laws that's making it very difficult. <laughs> yeah, and 51. we're also collaborating. Oh, <laughs> We're collaborating with Parkour Outreach. So Gordon Sang is the one who writes the laws. He's a lawyer and runs Parkour Outreach. And Ukemi, we conceptualized the idea and designed it. Um, and we're also now creating a partnership with Parkour Earth to try and 
okay, here, there, and everywhere. So if you're listening right now and that's something like you feel like you want to get involved in, give us a shout. We can support you with the design on it. We can support you with pointing in the right direction to get access to the text on the card and the laws that you'll write. So you don't have to have any experience at all. All that we really require is that you're within your local scene so then you can access the resources and we'll show you how to do that. Cool. Yeah, so that's that's it kind of in a, in a nutshell, I guess. The uh, I always like to make sure that I don't railroad people in the discussion. And I'm wondering, is there anything that you were thinking that you would want to talk about today? And you want to make sure that we don't like, you know, I press stop and you're like, oh, I didn't get to. <laughs> yeah, the first thing I'm going to do is backtrack slightly. I know Hedge is listening to this. Uh-oh. And he helps as well with the movement guard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to put that, access hardcore install will help you with anything. They're great. Uh, so what I'd like to talk about today is I like to talk about the performative aspects of parkour. I like to break that down into the rail marathon, the mm-hmm. cat crawl. Um, I'd also like to talk about city spaces in general, and I'll try and keep this all concise. No we're limited for time. And I'd also like to talk a little bit more about uh, Ukeni. So should we start with the, because uh, you mentioned already, the cat crawl? Sure. I've seen some of the video. And- yeah, so for, for those that are Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you some, this is kind of, I guess, the, the, the origin of, uh, I guess, me in, in endurance events. So uh, 10 years ago now, no, nine years ago now, I'm in Glasgow, 19 years old, and I'm in my student accommodation, and I'm drunk. And the Haiti earthquake has just happened. And I'm sitting, having a few beers with my classmates, and I say, someone should really do something about it. And they say, you should do something about it. So I said, okay, I will. I'm going to crawl for a half marathon. They're like, it can't be done. I was like, I'll try it. You know, people appreciate that and give it a go. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> so on eight days notice, uh, Buchanan Street in Glasgow, and it was in January. It was, there was hail during the day. There was a little bit of snow. There was rain. Dreary I crawled. Snow. Yeah. Yeah, I crawled for eight miles. And I'd done, some, I'd done a micro fracture in my wrist. I damaged a tendon up on my shoulder. And at one point on the, like the seventh mile mark, my toes kept on popping out. And I, I took off my shoe where my, my toes was out of the socket. So I had to get my dad to, to jam it back in. And I left that event and was depressed for months afterwards. And I'll tell you why. Is that I set, I set the goal of a half marathon, even though I only achieved eight miles. And we raised all the money primarily on the day. We raised four thousand pounds, so maybe about six thousand dollars mm. on the day. And, and that what was with happen, people who were they were walking like with you as you guys were working. They were carrying buckets and explaining, so that they were trying to like pull people in to engage. And so that was where all the fundraising was done, like right there with cans and explanation. Yeah, and like a lot of the time, it was people doing their shopping and coming back, and I'm still crawling. You know, <laughs> yeah, half a block uh, down, right? <laughs> But what happened was uh, we were counting as we went as well. And people would say, David, you're doing really well. Every time you do a length, you're raising like 150 pounds and that supports 
two families. Mm. So what I'd done pretty early on in the marathon from about the halfway point, um, sorry, not the marathon, the crawl, was I began to visualize families like 100 meters ahead in rubble. And if I crawled to them, I could save them. And I would just do it again and again and again and again. And when I got near the end of the marathon, I went to the toilet and I've got quite a supportive family. I had my dad there with me. And I came out of the toilet and it was quite embarrassing to say, but I, I didn't get him to help me, by the way. But I couldn't wipe my bum. I couldn't close my hand. And I was, I can't, I just, I, I cried. I was like, I can't do it anymore. And I finished the final length. And on the surface, I was celebrating it. But I went into quite a dark space for a couple of months in my mind, really thinking that uh, I'd let everyone down. And if I wasn't so weak in my mind, I would have been able to save someone else. And, and the reason I mention this is it kind of segues into the other events mm. that I'd done. I, I, I carried that feeling for quite a while and I decided that I needed to do an event that had an ending. So Rue Callahan and I done the London Marathon on stills. And we had a distance and we trained for it and we'd done the London Marathon on stilts and it was wonderful. And I kind of recaptured my love for that. And from there, I started formulating an idea to do another event using a parkour movement. But there was just never the right opportunity. I guess you have to realize that with the, the crawl, I was kind of young and naive and I could push through just having no idea. Say, did you do any prep training at all specifically for it? or No, I, I had a couple of cold showers. <laughs> that was it. I, I stimulated and I would do things that I didn't want to do that week. So if there's something, if I wanted dinner and I was like, I really want to eat right now, I was like, I'm not going to eat today. If I got in the shower and I was like, this is really warm and nice, I'd put on a timer and say, right, okay, cold water for two minutes. And I'd finish the two minutes and be like, I want to get out. Okay, you got to do 10 more seconds. So I didn't have enough time to physically prep, but I had enough time to sharpen my brain, so to speak. Um, and so kind of going from there, uh, I always wanted to, to replicate that. Uh, during the London Marathon on stilts, I was able to push myself forward. I was raising money for a close family member and that pushed me forward. And I, I don't feel like I can go out and just do these events, by the way. There has to be external stimulus. So when it came to the rail marathon, I met um, Madeline, and then I met some people from Freer Instinct and Parkour One, and they wanted to raise money to do events that would work with professionals, psychiatrists, etc., and integrate parkour training into people's therapy. Um, and I thought it was an excellent thing. Um, as, 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 a, as a young man, and we all have men round about my age in your family and your friend circle, we are at a very high risk of committing suicide. And as a result, I think most people listening here have a man in their family that have attempted or went down that road. So that was the images that I was going to use for the rail marathon in order to get myself through. Unfortunately, I tore a tendon in my knee at the end of last year while preparing for it. And I postponed the rail marathon. And then it happened again. And so I wouldn't have postponed it otherwise, but I haven't been really injured in maybe six or seven years. So when I had that problem in my knee, I was like, okay, it's fine. You'll recover. 
what's really frustrating about that is a rail marathon I estimate is going to take me 14 to 16 hours. So my training sessions for that were like up to four or five hours long once a week two one-hour sessions once a week on a rail. So to, to carve out that amount of time to prepare for an event like that, to get injured twice, was really good. And we kind of put our heads together and I had the idea to maybe just expand out the rail marathon. So this is the most recent one, everyone, that's just happened. It just happened uh, two weeks ago. I was going to be doing the marathon on the rail. I got injured. And instead, we got people in the parkour community around the world Chopped to step up. up to the plate. Right. Yeah, we have 34 people from 12 different countries. We raised a good chunk of change. And by the looks of things, this is now going to become an annual event. So every year you can donate a mile, share the fundraiser, get added to a cool video at the end, yeah. and we'll raise some money for some good causes. So that's happening again next year. In terms of myself doing the rail marathon, I will train for that, and I will still hopefully complete that this year. At the time, we had things like Guinness involved, and I was going to be setting the world record for it and things like that, being the first person to balance for a marathon. So hopefully that'll still happen. I think it will happen in more of a performative context now, likely in like a theatre or a museum. Um, now I've kind of raised the money, and with the events happening regularly, I probably will put the crowdfunder back up for that. But for me, that's kind of now me dipping more into that kind of a performance art background to achieve that image this idea of balancing on the rail i think that a common example of someone that might do something like that is like david blaine who you know stands on the pillar for 24 hours and goes in the ice i'm very inspired by those sort of actions as well so because the fundraiser is done it will happen again until next year when i do complete the marathon i'll be doing it more in theater style and we're hoping that'll land baby Yeah. yeah yeah That's that's a neat. Which is uh, my background. What I'm actually trained in. So, so. Yeah, and that that kind of I guess that kind of segues um, into performance work. That's um, what I was just thinking. That segues into theater and performance work. What was the? Can you remember a moment where I'm going to say theater and performance when you first realized that that was a thing? Like, did that click for you at any point in your life, in particular, or has that just always been there since the very beginning? <sighs> I think it's, I think it's, it's kind of linked to the Spider-Man thing. I think it's not fully realizing all the things that I was enjoying about that. I was thinking, so that very much drew me towards it and, and who I've previously mentioned, people like David Blaine and a lot of other kind of, I guess, more in the scene performance artists like uh, you know, Frank will be, Ron Athey, Marina Abramovich will be one people recognizes. I've always had a great respect for things that are reduced to their purest form. So parkour being our pure form of efficient movement. And I'm not about to define parkour. So I'm not going to do it, okay? <laughs> and the reason being is we have a beautiful discipline that escapes this 21st century encyclopedia style knowledge. Yeah, and no box. one quite knows what it is. And that is great. And as soon as we know what parkour is, I'll probably do something else, yes. okay? It's important for me a uh, jam that we all disagree about what it is and it creates a better culture in my opinion. There's, there should be respect to the foundations, of course, but, but that's just kind of um, where I stand about it. So this kind of purest form of movement or image in parkour, I, I have that feeling with fighting. I get that feeling when I watch someone sprint. And when I watch things like performance art, is isn't this big, 
huge two hours spectacle with lights and confetti and dance numbers and jazz hands is taking an idea and reducing it to its purest form in a single image. And I'm aware that if you're not into that sort of thing, you might see pictures of it and it kind of misses the mark. But for me, there's, there's nothing braver than getting on a stage with one thing. And as someone that performs across the spectrum of performance, uh, performance art has always been one that, that for me has that pull of like the rawest form of performing in the same way that I think parkour is the rawest form of efficient movement in the same way that I think mixed martial arts is the rawest form of fighting. So I'm very much in those worlds for those very reasons. Um, and I'd say with the performance thing, what's this? I said, do you have a favorite type of performance that you do? Do you prefer to, to do the performance yourself or do you prefer to be engaged in enabling the performance? And yeah, you, you participate, but what you really like is seeing the performance happen. Like what, what's the thing that draws you, draws you the most in there? I particularly like watching durational work. Uh, so for those that don't know, that might be a performance that might last six hours, 12 hours. Uh, you're welcome to come in and go as you wish. So I, I like the time to think. I like to kind of just sit and look at that image and let my mind wander. And I think a lot of people might get the same benefit if they're very into galleries and looking at paintings. Um, yeah, when, you, when you observe these works, you're thinking about yourself. And then you can kind of just let go of how maybe quote unquote weird it might seem and just sit and think for a while. How often can you go into a space where you can enter and leave, no one's on their phone and everyone's just sitting silently and watching a central focal point? So I think the meditative aspects of it, the reflective aspects of it, and also my respect for the artist are the things that draw me towards that. Mm. Ironically, most of the things I perform in are in complete contrast to that. So uh, I've performed across a quite a large spectrum. I've danced classically. Scottish opera. I teach with Scottish ballet, mainly parkour stuff, not not ballet. I'm not not because I don't do ballet or practice ballet, but I wouldn't want to disrespect the phenomenal dancers in that company. Um, I've performed in the circus. I've performed as an actor, and so the two ways that I want to skin the cat of parkour for performance is in the performance art spectrum, doing things like a durational action such as a marathon on a rail set up with cool light you know make it really cool and uh, inject some of those oh, aspects nice. into the static image and the other end of the spectrum would be the more kind of public audience festival style feel so something that's maybe a little bit more accessible um at the moment i perform a show called stuntman where i try and become a stuntman for an hour uh, we were just due to start touring that next month unfortunately due to the pandemic that's been cancelled. And I'd say historically, I've mainly performed in parkour crossover shows. So parkour with theatre, parkour with dance, parkour with a clown suit on, you know, whatever it is. And my frustration I get from those is, and there's going to be some parkour performers here that are going to laugh at this, how many times has a director or a call-out came up to you and you've sat down and they've got a big pot of funding that maybe you've struggled to go after. And they're down and like, listen, I've got a great idea. We're going to make a parkour performance. It's going to be about breaking from the nine to five. And I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> and, I, I, <laughs> and then the next person contacts you, we're going to make a parkour performance. It's going to be you breaking out a suit. I'm like, right. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> We're going to make a parkour performance. It's about you breaking from the strains of society. And it's just so base level drivel to me. I was once in a show, and it was a good show. It was fun to watch, where they spent, it must have been about £10,000 on a set to make it look like a street to place in a street. <laughs> Is that not mind-blowing? When you go see these parkour shows and they've got fake scaffolding, and you're like, there's a, there's a scaffolding over there. Right, turn the camera and this so, way. They're working on this building, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's obviously this big issue in the arts where performers get paid last. Like, performers are always the... the I've been quite lucky that I, I was, went to the conservatoire, quite well educated in the field, and, and kind of have the accolades to, to demand pay. But a lot of people in the parkour scene in particular, I see them getting taken advantage of again and again and again in these contexts with the opportunity to perform. So what I want to do is create the parkour show that is for and by parkour practitioners. And so I've already made some developments in that. I've had two residencies to develop this show. And the idea is, is that I will take a cast of three performers with some set choreography. Every city we go to, we perform the show at the most popular parkour spot and we work with local performers to make the content. The audience come to the parkour spot, they watch the parkour show about parkour, doing parkour at the parkour spot with yeah, no fake bench. As organic bench. as you can make it. It's as organic as you can make it. And some of the images from the show end up being really fun. So I, I, I like to pick apart people's reasoning for training. So in the last residency I done, which each of these things end in a live show for a kind of invited audience, producers and things like that. And one of the performers had this superhero complex. So during the show, we got helium balloons and we drew all the audience members' faces and we separated them around the parkour spot. And the performer, uh, Nina, had like 10 seconds to get to the balloon or it got let go. So we introduced this balloon as the audience member. We were like, this is, this is Laura. She's a dentist and she loves her dog. And if you don't get here Nine, in 10 seconds, you're going to die. Seven, right? Uh, I have always liked the image of people wa- watching someone on a rail and following them. If you ever watch someone follow someone walking on a rail, their foot placement is the same and they don't realize it. Mm. Something beautiful about watching an audience follow someone on a rail going. Yeah, the mimicry. So uh, I had once in one of my shows, I had an artist, uh, she was a physicist, and we calculated the rate of impact for audience members. And we had another performer do movements, and we calculated the level of impact that they'd have to sustain with their current. So we, we skin all these different kind of things and pick apart that culture to create almost like, it's like if you were making a scrapbook of things you're interested in, except I make a scrapbook of bits of performance in relation to these things and develop the show. So currently I'm applying for that to make the full version. I'm still undecided whether I'll go with the community cast or maybe target a team that's kind of been in the culture the whole time. So that's so just to summarize everyone, the two directions I'm going is, is quite extreme durational performance art images, single parkour action. How many climbers does it take to get to space? What does that look like? And more in line with the spectacle, bring your friends and family. You're going to see some cool stuff but you also get an actual taste of our culture. Well, One really final nice. image that I think you'll really appreciate in the show that uh, is being developed. We explain what parkour is in the show four or five times, but it's never in English. 
So the audience never actually get a description of parkour. We're like, we have to listen to the founders and the projector comes on over the performers. And then we hear the French explanation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so I really wanted to tell the audience what parkour was, but never tell them what it was as to kind of turn that idea into something else. So, so that's, that's currently my pathways with performance. Um, and with Ukemi, we, we handle kind of the more traditional rock up and do a few jumps style. Mm. So I, I'd say that's the, that's the kind of, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the world I'm in with that stuff. Mm. So I, when you were talking earlier about being injured and how that foiled your attempts to do that particular rail marathon, I'm wondering, I, I'm always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what is something that I can find in each interview? Because I love doing these just for having the conversations for my own personal benefit. Thank you very much. It's great. But I'm also thinking, is there something that I can find that I can give people to go chew on? And I'm wondering if you have, you could say if you have tips, but you could also just tell me what you do. What tips you have for, I call it self-care, self the sorts of things that you do to make sure that next week when I really want 100% out of my tendons, I'm not going to kill myself. And I'm wondering if you have any conscious things that you do for recovery or times when yeah, I want to go do X, this big thing, but I know that this is when I should be doing Y. Yeah, I, I'd say that it's quite boring, but I do a lot of yoga. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that tends to give me a kind of foundation. I, I prefer to try and move every day. I prefer not to take a rest day if possible, even if that's just active rest, like a short jog or go for a few sun salutations, uh, do a bit of hanging. I think it's important to, to keep mm -hmm. moving. Hanging is an excellent. I, I call it a vitamin. Hanging is an excellent. Brachiation is an excellent vitamin. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> and I got that from. Uh, I done the Edo Portal online coaching. Uh, uh, that's where I first got into like, ooh, brachiation. I should be doing more of that. I haven't done any of his courses, and I've never talked to him. But yeah, that's that's something that I'll send you. I'll send you the program you sent me. Maybe like after thank you. this interview, and you that, can have a look into it. It's tailored for me. I paid a lot of money for it, so you know mine to give away <laughs> uh, it was it was excellent information and it was great engaging with him i would say to people listening that are thinking about going down that route of of a specialist for me more than anything it kind of confirmed what ingredients i should be using kind of getting it straight from the horse's mouth mm. that's what was a big benefit for me but i just want him to release a book or something or or and he isn't lying when he says that all the things that he will contact and he will train you can be found in his old blog or uh, is it Anvilic blog or something like that? There's a blog where someone's curated all his ingredients. Mm, so I don't think I've seen that one. I think that, that I, I guess on the tip of that is sometimes finding people that are experts beyond yourself. Um, I think that you, you stay healthy by constantly experiencing, stimulating yourself with new forms of movement. And sometimes that, doesn't necessarily mean going to a jam and trying to copy the person doing the biggest jump. Sometimes it's putting your hand in the hat and pulling out. Um, yeah, awkward item A combined trapeze, with awkward trapeze, item B. I'm right? going to go about trapeze, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So like it, it, it's sometimes staying healthy means being the worst in the room, doing some yoga and eating healthy. I, I guess that would be the, 
summary for that for me. I, I think there's um, deep wisdom in that. That's I would agree completely. That's the way I look at it. Squat and hang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lately, I've been trying to squat while hanging, use a resistance band, you know, to pull my arms up while doing the squat and then changes the way the loading works. But yeah, there's a bunch of... I think the easiest way for people to maybe access because that's tailored to me to an extent is find what you practice the most and try and do the opposite. So if, if you're a... If you're a power lifter and you lift heavy things off the ground and you train under short durations, then you should find something that's less intense if that happens over a long duration for your recovery. Um, if you spend all your time doing more flow-based exercises that don't necessarily have jagged stops and starts, then you should find a practice to recover that's a little bit more centered the middle so i'd say the easiest access point for people listening to find something that's really good for them find out the thing you're doing the most and try and find a physical practice that is in direct contrast to that and inject it into your training cool i think that's a terrific place to wrap up as i said before thank you for taking the time i always hate stopping because i'm always like well let's just go forever but everybody has things they need to go do and i'm sure that our paths will cross you're not that far from where i am so hopefully I will see you in the near future, but I'm sure I will see you at some point. So thanks for taking the time to talk to me Absolutely. today, David. And for my sign-off, I'm going to do a sign-off as well. Sorry. Find Ukemi, find me. You've got the movement card to get involved in. You've got the rail marathon to get involved in. And Ukemi, we're running projects all the time. We have a lot of cool blogs and articles. We're about to start campaigning for some new park spaces. So get in contact, get involved, and... Hopefully I'll train with some of the people listening here and I'll get to meet you in the flesh one day, Craig. I hope so. Thanks and enjoy the rest of your day, David. Yeah, you too, pal.